0: revisiting the idea that when we obey the greatest commandment to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, that something happens. We unlock the secret to living out the gospel in our community. And, uh, and along with 300 other churches, all right, we're um, in the Austin area, we're imagining a city where God's people might lead the way in good neighboring, where God's people might be the ones that make the neighborhood better. And so uh, that we would be attentive to community health. So as Christians, we believe the art of neighboring, of course, is, uh, may very well be the best soil for the gospel. When you develop a relationship with a neighbor, that the seed is planted in that relationship. But here's the big question for today. The big question for today is, what if they don't like you? What if you try to be nice to your neighbor, neighbor and they are not nice to you? What if, what if you live behi- beside a very difficult neighbor? What if you have conflict with your neighbor? What if they actually even, like, push back on you because you're a Christian? Like, they don't want to hear any of that. They don't want to have anything to do with you. What do you do? If your neighbors are always creating conflict, how do you handle that? How should we work with those kinds of people? Well, interestingly enough, Jesus himself coaches his disciples on this in Matthew chapter 5. Now, we wish, we certainly wish that all relationships, relationships of every kind, would be easy to maintain, easy to develop, right? We wish we could just make friends really easily, but it's hard work. We wish we could just have a marriage relationship that wasn't hard to develop a a, a really good, solid, healthy relationship. But it's hard work. Every relationship is hard work. As I was thinking about this, um, as I was thinking about this this week and I was getting ready for it, I thought of Harold and Marie. Harold and Marie had been married 50 years. 50 years they'd been experiencing marital bliss and they were at a, at a party, and, and so they were talking about how they'd had such great success in their marriage. And um, Harold said that they'd never had an argument ever in the history of their marriage. And so he, he said, well, here's how it happened. The first day, we came out of the church, got into the horse-drawn carriage, right? And we started to take off, and the horse wouldn't go. Marie got out, walked around in front of the horse and said, that's one. Got back in the carriage, kept going. Tried to get it to go a little further. Kept, kept stopping, the horse kept stopping. Marie, Marie would get out of the carriage and go around to the horse and say, that's two. Third time trying to get, trying to get the horse to go. Finally, Marie gets out and gets around in front of the horse, pulls out a revolver and shoots the horse right in the head. Yeah, I know. Shocking. We're in Austin. It's shocking. Harold's like, you can't kill animals. You can't do this. What are you doing, Marie? This is not right. And she looked at him and said, that's one. (laughs) And they never had an argument again. It's crazy how that happened. Now, we wish, we really wish that we could deal with relationships like Marie dealt with the horse. Right? Can we just like warn them once, twice, three? Okay, you're, it's, it's over. But you can't deal that way with relationships. Most people want long-lasting and healthy and strong relationships, but they don't know how to do it. So many people have been deeply wounded by broken relationships that they, they aren't automatically good neighbors. They don't automatically know how to develop relationships. As the saying goes, hurt people hurt people and are easily hurt by others. And when that's the case, it's really difficult to understand how relationships can work. But we have to, I think we as God's people have insight into this because of what Jesus told us. And I I think it's important to understand that people do what they do for a reason. People act the way they act for a reason. They're not good reasons. Sometimes it has, it's because they're broken. Their, their history is broken. They're from a dysfunctional family. Or it's because they've been in a loveless marriage. And, or it's because they've been wounded in their past. But there's, there's a thing that we have to get to, we have to dig down for. And today we're going to look at Matthew 5. Because there are many reasons why relationships go bad. But make no mistake, good relationships are no accident. Good relationships are no accident. You do something on purpose. That's your first fill in the blank in your message notes. So today, here we go, beginning with the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus speaking to a whole bunch of disciples, and what he did was, during this whole discourse, this whole message, most of it is about relationships. Most of it's about relationships. And we're going to do it today. Now, I'm going to read from the Message Bible today, all right? It's a modern-day translation done by the brilliant author, uh, Eugene Peterson. And he he wrote this as a way to help people hear the message in modern-day language. So it's not as accurate in word-for-word word translation, but it is a thought-for-thought thought translation that gives us, like, it it perks up our ears it awakens our hearts to hear what jesus wanted to say in a new way okay all right let's pray father thank you for your word thank you that the entrance of it gives us light we pray that it would come alive in us and we'd be able to obey what you say to us today in jesus name amen all right matthew chapter 5 verse 1 the title of this section is you're blessed everybody say that together You're blessed. You're blessed. Come on, people. Wake up a little bit. Here we go. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. And those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. And this is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You may know it as blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Eugene writes, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. Verse 4, you're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. This is blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. Verse 5 You're blessed, fortunate, happy. Some would say this word even means lucky. Jesus is talking about a way that the kingdom of God works. He says, You're blessed when you're content with just who you are no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Verse 6, you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. The first thing we have to understand about relationships is we have to begin with God. Number one, begin with God. Kingdom relationships start with a relationship with Him. Your most important relationship is the one you have with God. Don't ask God to join your relationships. Begin with Him before your relationships. So many of you who are single adults, you get into these relationships sometimes, then you ask God to come in and join the relationship. Oh, God, make this the man. Make him the man that you want him to be, please. Start with God and let him lead you to the right relationship. Begin with God. Jesus is talking here about spiritual poverty. He's saying, We're most fortunate when we recognize that we are in need, that we can't produce this on our own. Admitting we are insufficient on our own, that we need Him and we need others. He's saying that even though we mourn, even though we lose things, we can be comforted by Him. And when we choose humility, when we choose meekness, we begin to have influence in the world we begin to be able to make relationships really work. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, choose brokenness over self-sufficiency. Choose humility versus arrogance. Choose choose compassion over judgment. You're not going to be able to implement any of the principles we talk about today unless you understand that you have to have a vibrant, meaningful, healthy relationship with God. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I love this verse because notice what it says. God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That means he's giving us the desires. The desires come from him, and then the ability to do the job comes from him. If we have him in our lives, he'll help us build the right relationships. He, He wants to heal us. From the wounds of our past, he wants to help us not be defined by our failures, by the struggle of relationships. He wants us to begin with him. Let's continue with verse 7. You're blessed. Everybody say you're blessed. Blessed. (laughs) You're blessed. You're blessed when you care. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You know it is blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. You're blessed when you get in your inside world, your your mind and your heart put right. And then you can see God in the outside world. I want you to read that again. Check that out. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. That's because God always works from the inside out. Never works from the outside in. He works from the inside out. The second big point is you have to work on yourself. (laughs) You have to work on yourself. Your relationships can only be as healthy as you are. Your relationships can only be as healthy as you are. In fact, the very verse that we're using for this whole series is the key verse. Love your neighbor as... (laughs) It's really hard to have self-loathing and be a good neighbor. You have to find a way to understand who you are, what God has done in your life, and there has to be an acceptance of who you are, and then an ability to work on who you are. You cannot give to others what you do not have. We tend to focus on others whenever we talk about relationships, but we have to look at ourselves. And the reason, listen, the reason your neighbor may not like you, may have more to do with you than them. <laughs> there, 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 may be a there may be a problem here that you're having to work through the uh, uh, an issue that there's a reason why you're not open, why you're not willing to be generous with them. If you live in this kind of fear and kind of hurt, it really ruins all relationships. I'm going to highlight some principles from the great author John Maxwell today. John Maxwell wrote a great book. If you have the time to pick it up, it's called Winning with People. It's one of the it's it, it's the best book he's ever written, and he's a he is profound when it comes to relationships. He has something called the, the lens principle. The lens principle. Who you are determines how you see the world. Everybody comes to relationships with a way that they see the world because of who they are, what they've experienced, what their temperament is. And we come to the world and we see it the way that we're wired. But we have to see ourselves accurately and be able to understand what we're supposed to work on. So we, but listen, and <laughs> make no mistake, we all need work. We're all in process, okay? Nobody's made it, all right? We're all a work in process, but we need a mirror to see ourselves accurately. And you know, the scripture speaks of itself as a mirror. The word of God, we hold it up to our lives and we see ourselves in it. And then the scriptures show us who we really are and help us to adjust, help us. You know, when you get up in the morning, you came to church and you looked in the mirror and you fixed your hair. Those of you who have, hair. And you and you made yourself look presentable. Right? And 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 <laughs> if you came to church like you w- you woke up, people would be shocked. <laughs> Most of you had huge bedhead. Right? And so what do you do? You go in the bathroom, you look in the mirror, oh, I can't go to church like this. I got to do something about that. You put water on it, you wash it, you paint it, whatever you need to do. And then and then you and then you come to church. The Bible is a mirror for our lives and we hold it up and we see what's wrong. And then God gives us the strength, the ability, the provision to fix it. And we all need to do this. And listen, the reason we do this is we got to be the kind of people who attract others instead of repel them. Jesus made his disciples, check this out, fishers of men. Do you know what you got to do if you're going to be a great fisherman? You got to use great bait. <laughs> you got to have, according to my grandpa, you got to have a lot of time too, because he took me fishing and we never caught anything. But listen, listen, there's something ab- about understanding that Jesus wants to make you a person that will fish for men, that will fish for people. Pastor Ross, you expect me to be someone I'm not? No. I. I expect you to be the best you that Jesus wants you to be. He wired you up. He made you. He's, he's here to help you become the best you that you were designed to be. All right, look at what Jesus says in verse 9. You're blessed. Everybody say you're blessed. blessed. All right, that's better. When you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. This is blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the children of God. He finishes it and says, that's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. Number three, I think we have to be a positive influence. A positive influence. We have to be the solution-oriented people. God's people bring solutions. God's people are not the problem people. Another principle is the Bob principle. You ever heard of the Bob principle? You know what the Bob principle is? If, here it is. If Bob always has a problem with somebody, Bob may be the problem. If Bob always has a problem with others, Bob's the problem. There is something that we bring because we're God's people. And you have to ask this question. Are you a downer? Are you a downer? Are you a, an uplifting person? or do you bring everything down are you cynical and negative or are you encouraging and positive well don't you know pastor ross it's not cool to be encouraging and positive it's cool to be cynical and skeptical that's what's cool in austin and i hate to tell you this but god's people are called to be positive encouragers and and to see what's possible because we're people of faith Since we're people of faith, we're called to see what is possible in others, what's possible in our relationships. Look at what Ephesians 4.29 says. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. I think we all ought to practice the 30-second rule. You ready for the 30-second rule? Here it is. Within the first 30 seconds of a conversation, say something encouraging. I'd practice that right here. Right here out in the lobby after church. Because right? here, truthfully, the best place to practice being a positive person is at church. If you can't be a positive person at church with, the, with God's people among, you know, all around you, if you can't reach out to the person who's standing in the lobby a- a- alone, doesn't know where to go, if you can't if you're gonna practice this kind of thing here, you're going to have a really hard time in your neighborhood. This is a safe place to practice that. We can practice in our groups. Listen, your groups, you're going to find some very difficult people in the groups (laughs) that you go to. You're going to find difficult people everywhere you are, but it's in God's house where we begin to share peace with one another. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the people who reach out to others, who cooperate instead of compete or fight. We're not denying a reality, right? We're not denying a reality. We see what is possible because we know God. Now, I was, I was at the zoo this last week, right? My kids were on spring break, so we took a day, and we went to the zoo on Friday, San Antonio Zoo, actually. We went all the way down to San Antonio. It was awesome. It was great. We saw uh, uh, giraffes and lions and tigers and bears. It was incredible, and, and so um, we're walking around, and we are, you know, there's people everywhere, and I see this lady, and she's just surrounded by kids. And I mean, I don't know if they were all friends or they were all her kids, but it was a lot of kids. And that's a big deal for me because I'm a father of five. So I, you know, everywhere we go, It's a circus. So, but this is like another level of circus. I don't know. She had like kids everywhere, and it looked like her husband was kind of trying to corral some of them. And she had one on her back, and I couldn't tell if he was in a like a harness or if he was just like on her back. And so she's walking around, she's pushing a stroller, and got one on her back, and they're all kind of running around. And she's like, you can just see her. She's just like, oh my gosh, coming to the zoo was such a mistake. But I saw her. I, and I was just watching her out of the corner of my eye and she took out her phone, the kid's still on her back, and she holds up the phone to the animal behind her and goes. <laughs> and then she put it down and I was like, back to the grind. <sighs> the zoo selfie. Oh, I wish you guys were here. This is so awesome. Hashtag, we're family, we're awesome. I'm not sure she was really enjoying it that much, right? When I say we're called to be positive, I'm not talking about some kind of fake outer veneer where you just say stupid things to people all the time. How you doing? I'm blessed, I'm blessed, yes. Okay, what I'm talking about is a real inside conviction and faith that there's something positive that you are living your life for and that you see in others. That's what I'm talking about. That's what God's people are called to. And listen, there's all kinds of ways to deal with conflict. Our idiosyncrasies, our personalities... And 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 we got to practice that right here because, because we're going to have to live it out there. All right. Let's pick up the story. Keep, keep going in verse 10. You're blessed when you... You want to say it? You're blessed. Say it again. You're blessed. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. You're fortunate when your commitment to God provokes persecution. You are... Lucky when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they're uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even for though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds and know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. (laughs) I love that. Number four, respond to negative people with confidence and conviction. Respond to negative people with confidence and conviction. Sometimes your commitment to God will cause people to resist you, to dislike you to even work against you. That is part of living in this world. Not everyone we meet will connect with us, and that's okay. Let it drive you deeper into God's kingdom, deeper into his heart, deeper into what he wants from you in regards to that relationship. We still engage people, right? We don't shut down with difficult people, but we engage them with confidence and conviction because why? We know who we are, and we know what we believe that's what god has called us to and we trust god to help us respond with the right heart and the right attitude here's what first peter 4:12 says it says dear friends do not be surprised at the fiery trial the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you here's what jesus is saying he's saying you shouldn't be surprised that you have trouble with people this is just part of the deal people are difficult you're difficult. (laughs) And Peter's like, don't think this is strange, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Here's what I want you to see. Peter is saying, let God be your defender. Because here's what happens. As soon as you enter into a relationship where there's real pushback, real persecution. Then God's grace begins to show up in measures you hadn't counted on. God's grace, everybody wants God's grace, but somehow, sometimes we're we're unwilling to face some of the difficult persecution. We're, We're afraid to take the risk. But that's where the grace is. When you take the risk, when there's a moment where you realize, man, these these people are mean. Don't be surprised. Trust God. Let him defend you. God, let God fight for you. He's way better at it than you are. When you fight the way you fight, it doesn't work. When you let God fight for you, it makes everything different. I'm not saying you have to be a doormat, but I am saying you have to carry a towel everywhere you go because you have to be the person that washes the feet of the of the person who will be um, difficult, the person who will push back on you, just as Jesus did in John 13 when he washed the feet of the betrayer and the feet of the denier. He was giving us a lesson there. Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. Why? Because I've overcome the world. The next section in the discourse is salt and light it says verse 13 let me tell you why you are here you are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the god flavors of this earth if you lose your saltiness how will people taste godliness you've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage here's another way to put it you're here to be light bringing out the god colors in the world god is not a secret to be kept we're going public with this as public as a city on a hill if, you make you, if I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Check this out. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. How do you do this? How do you be generous with people? You know what you do? You, number five, you help them win. You help them win in life. You help them accomplish things that they're trying to figure out. You help them win instead of lose. Once you help somebody win, once you help somebody make a step that causes their life to be successful, you have a friend for life. Our generosity with others reflects God's generosity and helps them respond to him. We make life taste better. We make light come into every dark place. We help people by making them successful. This is who we were made to be as God's people. Two weeks ago, we talked about how we're going to be a church that blesses people. That And we took time to unpack the acronym BLESS. Begin with prayer. Pray for them. Listen. Listen to them. Don't talk. Listen. Eat with them, share communion with them, serve them. And finally, share your story. Share your story when the time comes. This is, this is the blessing we've received through the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12. And here's what, here's what John Maxwell says. He's, he says, four kinds of people, all right? Some people add something to life. You ever have somebody who just adds something to your life? You like to have them around? I think I, I, kinda, I, I, think, I think I have a bunch of friends who add stuff to my life. I have a bunch of people that I just really enjoy. That's, that's what led me to Marty and Casey Irwin. I just liked them. I liked them being around. They were positive. They're encouraging people. They, the, I, I, I like the way they think. But some people subtract something from life. And you know what we do? We tolerate them. We tolerate them. They're they're around, but oh, we just don't like it because they're always taking stuff. They're takers rather than givers. We need to be the givers no matter what other people are doing. Some people multiply. They multiply something for life, and we value them. That's what happened to my relationship with Marty and Casey is we decided several years ago that we were going to work together and multiply our relationship into something else something beyond our own capacity, something beyond our own ability to produce. I think that's, a, that's the secret to life in the kingdom is you're always looking for ways to multiply God's goodness in your life into others' lives. You're trying to go beyond what you can just produce and what God wants to do in other people's lives. Some people, though, they divide they divide something in life and we just avoid those people. We don't want to be around those people. They're always divisive. They're always pitting people against each other. We, 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 want, to, we want to get rid of them. We avoid them. But here's the thing. You and I are called to be multipliers. Don't, don't subtract. Don't divide. Don't just add. Rather, multiply all of God's goodness in others. And here's the thing. As, what I believe is as your friendship rises in value in another person's life, Guess what? They want to know where that value comes from. They want to know why this is so worthwhile. Finally, Jesus begins to talk about really serious things. This is labeled under the title of murder. Verse 21 says, you're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or a sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot, and you might just find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, and you are on the brink of hellfire. That's what I tell my kids right there. <laughs> the simple moral fact is that words kill. Kill. say the right words at the right time say the right words at the right time many folks say the right words at the wrong time or they say the wrong words at the right time (laughs) but you and i have to recognize the power of our words proverbs 18 says the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit you ever heard the saying better to say nothing and thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt there's a, there's a thing here that we have to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives and say the right things at just the right time. That's what, that's what good relationships do. And that's what, that's what people do in difficult relationships. They say the right thing at the, at the right time. And you and I, I know we live in a country where we have the right to say anything we want. First Amendment is very important to us. The right to say whatever we want, but we subscribe to a higher authority than the constitution our authority is the scriptures which means we don't have the right to say anything we want anytime we want you and i look to a higher authority in the scripture and to god himself and we say the right thing at the right time and there's two things when you're in conflict with with people two things to consider tone and timing you can write it down in in your side notes tone and timing do you have the right tone you know tone right babe how you doing and she looks back at me and says fine she said fine but that tone did not sound quite right i think something's wrong right tone and timing these are the two guiding principles of dealing with conflict and so we've got to say the right words at the right time and we've got to use our words to encourage people and 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 we have to We have to do things that are kind of out of the ordinary sometimes and say the right thing at the wrong time. You know, we've lost the art of note writing. Thank you notes or whatever, but you know what we have instead? We have texting. When was the last time you just said positive things to people through your texts? Think about this. Think about your kids. Your kids are starving for positive reinforcement. They want it from you. Take a moment and tell them something good about themselves. Encourage them, say the right thing at the right time. Look at verse 23 to 24. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. Wow. Check this out. Number seven, treat relationships like spiritual treasures. Like spiritual treasures. Here's what is happening. Jesus is talking about a hierarchy of biblical principles. He's saying that some things are more important than others in the Bible. And he's lifting relationships above the ritual of offering sacrifices. And he's saying sacrifices are not really that important if everything's screwed up in your relationships. He's teaching our relationships are more important than our worship or our rituals. John says this in 1 John 4. He essentially says our love for God is only as good as our love for people. You can't love people and hate hate you can't love God and hate people. Our love for God and our love for people go hand in hand and these are the only things you take to heaven, these relationships. Matthew 6:20 says but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also. I think we have to mind the gold of good intentions and believe the best about people. We're called to believe the best about people. You ever get mad at people when they do something mean? I do. We often judge ourselves by our own intentions, but we judge others by their actions. (laughs) We let ourselves off the hook, but we judge others. Look, believe the best about people, no matter what they've said, no matter what they do. The rest of the chapter deals with the way our hearts struggle with relational violations and motives, adultery, divorce, oaths. Vows, how to treat people who have hurt you. Finally, Jesus comes to this in verse 43, and the title is Love Your Enemies. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies, let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer, for then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone regardless, the good and bad, the nice and nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Grow up your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. Number eight, love your enemies and grow. There is no greater way to grow than choosing to love people who are difficult to love. In fact, it is the test of our maturity whether or not we can love our enemies. Loving your enemies is what God has called you to. As God's people, we are the people that love in the face of difficulty and danger and the Holy Spirit works through us and within us to love them. And, and just look, the work of the Holy Spirit in us is supposed to cause fruit. Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The result of being filled up with God is you can produce fruit in very difficult soil to love people love joy peace forbearance kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control if we do this we become we become people who love our neighbors as ourselves close your eyes and bow your head and i want you to listen to the voice of the holy spirit maybe speaking to you today and we're going to come to the lord's table And I want you to see the Lord's table as a place of provision. The reason Jesus came to the earth to share these truths, these principles we've just spoken about, he was talking about a different way of living, a different way of your life functioning with others. Jesus came He came to restore relationship with God and he came to restore relationship with one another. And he's coaching us on how to do that right here in what we've read today. I want you to see the Lord's table as a place where Jesus made it possible for you to experience that. When he came and gave his life, when he laid down his life as an offering, he is the, he's the one that gives us everything we need to live this way. Now, you may be here and you may be really hurting because of some wounds in your past, some relationships that have really gone badly. Can I encourage you that Jesus is here to heal you? (laughs) Like right here in this room to touch you and to heal you. To lead you in forgiving people who've hurt you. He laid down his life so that you could be forgiven, and this forgiveness comes into you and then spills out into others. Some of you may have mistreated people. This is your moment to say, I'm so sorry, God. Please forgive me. Please heal me. Please cleanse me. Forgive me of my past. You might be in the middle of a very dark moment in your marriage or, or in your career. Would you come to the table and receive provision for his grace? And as you do, I want you to think about Jesus who on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat it, I want you to remember me. And in the same way he took the bread and after he had given thanks, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, I want you to remember me. It is the forgiveness of sins. The cup cleanses us with the blood of Christ. the bread, representative of Christ's body, broken for us so that we could be whole, so that we could be healed. Father, we receive this now. We ask you to touch our hearts and touch our lives, touch our past, touch our history, touch our stories, rewrite our stories, recreate us, mold us, shape us, provide for us everything that we need so that we can then share your generosity and love with the world, with our neighbors. We come to you and receive provision for that. In Jesus' name, amen.